sometimes unconventional, but always entertaining. They're kooky and they're spooky. It's time to cross to the other side. Welcome to Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata. And hello, everybody. Welcome to the Spooky Sunday Show, giving you a variety of tones to kick off the evening. My name is Anne. I'm a paranormal investigator, and I am one of the hosts here on Spooky Sundays. We're also joined by the grey-haired devil over there. What's your name again? Renata Daniel. And you've got your voice back better than mine. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, it's going to be a great show tonight. We have got jam-packed full of spooky goodies. I may even have to mention the F word, and we know what happens when that happens. Mm, I hope that's in the second half. Yes, it is. Good. <laughs> Good. At least we can get the, through the first hour. Maybe. <coughs> without maybe. too much trauma. Yeah, maybe just a, a coughing fit here and there, but I'm on the desk so I can mute myself as soon as I, I head off into <coughs> coughing land mm-hmm. because once <coughs> I go, it's um, pretty loud, isn't it? Yes. You were calling the funeral director earlier yes. saying she's she's about to go. She's about ready. She's about ready. Come and get her. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's been a great weekend. We've had ghost hunts on. We've been out. Uh, well, I've been at Miss Porter's house, and you were out at Wallumbi, mm-hmm. and we had Maitland Jail on Friday night. We've got a cracking week coming up. Oh yes, we've got um, a, an investigation at New FM radio station. Now, should we even be mentioning that? Well, here? No, it's okay. That's all right. <laughs> I, I told them about what we do after they booked us. <laughs> I don't think we're competition. I think it's fine. Um, but yeah, they've been. Joel's been seeing some ghosties through the window, and he asked us to come out and check it oh. out. And they're going to be bringing in some listeners. So listen wow. to the new FM if you get the chance yes. to possibly uh, get in on that investigation. We're only taking eight people because um, we know it's a very tiny little space in there. Yes, yes. And we've got another interview. Yes, um, we do on Tuesday. On Tuesday. Yep. With uh, Tamara, mm-hmm. and um, we're not quite sure what we're doing. She sent some questions through to us and we're just going to turn up and have some fun because uh, I had my agent once call me a camera whore and she's probably right. I love being in front of a camera. I love being in front of a microphone and I've dragged this one kicking and screaming along with me now. Yes. And even you have said yes to a a camera interview. Yes, yes I have. I'm still, I I still think I've got a a great face for radio, as they say. Um, So I'd rather be in front of a microphone than in front of the camera. Yeah. My um, physique is not necessarily great for camera, but I know that there is not a lot of people like me who are confident enough to get out in front of a camera. So I used to get a lot of work Mm. doing TV commercials and and, a bit of TV work. So, yeah. So it's an it's, um, interesting world. Just be confident in your own skin and uh, don't care what anyone else says. I know it's hard, but be Teflon, as Beth used to say to us. Be Teflon, let yes. it slide off. Yeah. Speaking of which, it is now um, four weeks and three days till we leave. Mm, yes. Ah, England and Ireland, here we come. Mm, can't wait. So I said to Renata the other day, is it too soon to get the suitcase out to pack? <coughs> and she said, nah. And then the next day I said... Is it too soon to go to the airport and sit and wait there? <laughs> I'm keen to go. What can I say? Mm. All right. What's your story for us, Renata? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I came across this one 
and um, there was a video <coughs> attached to it, Ooh. but all I can actually give you is a still shot. And if you go to... She's going to hold it up to the microphone now for you all to look at. <laughs> now, if you go to Newcastle Live uh, Street Team page, you'll be able to see what I am talking about. It is a still shot of a... Um, an outdoor camera, so one of those surveillance cameras, which is sort of um, across to the front of someone's yard, like the the entrance. Oh, yes. The entrance to the house. And they feel that they have caught something that might be an angel. Uh Mm. Is it a cockroach? It's No, no, no. No, it's an angel, for sure. Um, (coughs) Oh, there we go. You're going to do it now. We (coughs) apologise for any coughing you may hear during this. We have been struggling for a little while. (laughs) Uh, So it's uh, the video kind of shows a little bit more, but, you know, the still shot will still work. Uh, And this, of course, is the news of the week. It says a dad of three was left astonished after capturing footage of what he believes to be a flying angel on his ring door door cam and now wonders whether it could be the spirit of his dead father watching over him and his family. That was a big leap. Mm. Mm. Robert Mansfield, 33, couldn't believe his eyes when partner Stephanie Scott, 31, showed him a video taken while she and seven-year-old son Oscar Scott, nice, were returning from a dog walk on March the 7th. Footage shows the mother and son pair approaching their front door with Maltese and Pomeranian cross clow, just as a white mark appears above them in the night sky. The mysterious mark then drifts upwards before vanishing altogether. And no, it's not an orb. It's not an orb. Okay. Yep. Uh, Robert has been uh, had been just 14 years old when he lost his dad, Mick Aww. Mansfield, who died at the age of 44. He says the clip has brought him so much comfort, especially as the family has had a tough time of late after Chloe lost an eye following an attack by another dog. Oh, Chloe. At the time the video was captured, two-year-old Chloe had been returning from his first walk since he was attacked by an intruding dog to the family's garden. The supposed apparition was first spotted by Stephanie while she was carrying out one of her regular checks on the door cam. Robert from Beaumont Lees, Lester She said, We've had a tough time recently, so seeing something like that makes you think someone's out there watching out for you. We always say my dad is my kid's guardian angel, so seeing something like this is heartwarming. It might be him. I nev- I've never experienced something like this before. It was amazing and it gave us comfort. So while Stephanie showed me, she asked if it's an angel because you can see the wings flapping. I told her it can't be because I'm not a huge believer in stuff like that. Therefore it can't be. But when I looked into it, I was really surprised and realised it could actually be something. The intriguing footage has divided opinion. The clip has since been shared via Facebook, where it has clocked up nearly 50,000 views and counting. Some have, we don't get anything with 50,000 views. No, we've got to 5,500 on our Timu video now. (laughs) I'm very excited about that. Not (laughs) even. 
It's not even paranormal. Oh, they Jeez. wanted to work with us out of it, so that was good. Some have been moved by the beautiful footage, while others reckon the mark is just a reflection from young Oscar's coat. One stunned person commented, no way, there is no mistaking that. And another wrote, oh, my God, that's so beautiful. A third argued, I've watched this over and over, and I think some sort of reflection off the people walking. If you watch when she disappears off camera, so does the reflection. Oh, ain't that person a party pooper? Yeah, I've got the picture up and I've actually shared it on the YouTube page as well so they can see it. And you can see the street light and then you can see some other little reflected bits and pieces and that one's sort of smack bang in the middle. It, it does look like a line of lights ref- reflected from that street light. Um, Except I'll, it's got wings. Uh, yeah, I'll talk in a minute about it. So okay. <clears throat> Robert isn't convinced by the reflection expl- explanation, however, adding people have said it's a reflection on the coat and I've done a bit of research. There you go. He's used that coat loads of times and nothing has ever come up on the doorbell camera like that. Yeah, but you'd have to be standing in exactly the same spot with exactly the same conditions to compare it. Yeah. If you look closely, the lights go bright, and then when it disappears, they go dull. That can't be a reflection. Uh, my opinion is, yes, it is a reflection because it actually moves uh, in exactly the same way the lady does. Sorry. Um, but look, but it gives them comfort. It gives them comfort. And who are we to say, you know, who are we to burst that bubble for them? They've had a really tough time, and this is one of those things that turns their lives around um, for the better, and they feel comforted by that them feel comforted by that that's absolutely perfect um but it's only our opinion yeah from being paranormal i'd probably say no like i said that's the still um you can actually find the video of it but i couldn't i couldn't download it um so uh, Um, yeah india mara said the door cams and the home security ones are really bad quality uh i walked in front of my security camera and i vanished I like that. Um, Yes, I mean, I know our cameras, um, it's poor quality. It has night vision, so. And look, we get a lot of these. We actually get a lot of people that send us uh, security camera footage and say, what do you think this is? And obviously, often it's some sort of an... Um, anomalous light mm-hmm. um, that does look like it's floating about um, or it's sort of something in the yard that becomes reflective or it's some sort of weird little anomaly uh, and yeah it that makes them wonder what in the hell this is yeah and we've had some people say that it's demonic like some person might look at that picture and interpret it as demonic whereas other people will look at it and go oh that reminds me of an angel therefore it is angelic mm-hmm. um but with these cameras they are a very low pixel quality and uh d- depending on the amount of pixels you have uh will let you have the better quality picture so each little pixel, if you can imagine, is a little pinpoint of light that can be red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, white and black. Uh, and it's, it's those, they change colour to uh, create the image that um, is being projected into it. So if you imagine people standing in a stadium with uh, those cardboard um, pieces of cardboard and they all run out into the stadium and they've all got to line up in the exact number and then they hold their cardboard above their head and if you were looking down from the top it would 
you know, put out the uh, will you marry me or go the Newcastle Knights and it'll all come up with a picture. Um, but each one of those little pixels on their own wouldn't make sense. So if somebody walked out in the street with one picture of that and you'd look at it and go, well, I don't know what that is. You need to see the full picture. But just the smaller the the pixel or the more the amount of pixels you have the more detailed image you can have so uh, you can have shades and blurred images and um, hues but when it's uh, a cheaper camera which these ones only have a small amount of pixels it's not a very good image I hope I'm making sense am I making sense Renata it's difficult <laughs> without without illustrations. <laughs> I thought I was explaining it really well. I'm oh, sure you the did, people you tried. That, yeah, oh, I did my best, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. you, and Maxine says she can see an angel, and the thing is, when we're told it looks like an angel, that's, that's what another we thing. Our brain says, "Yeah, I can see the little flapping wings and things," but I mean, who says that angels look like that anyway? You know. <sighs> Who who says that angels have wings? The Bible that, said it so. <laughs> that's that's how we've interpreted Didn't over they the say years. Saint Michael had beautiful big wings yes. and a big sword. Yeah, the bigger the wings, the greater the, the angel. Um, but Did he have a crystal around his neck? <laughs> Stop it. Um, that is the depiction we have been given, um, and so therefore we see that um, as or anything that appears like that is looks angelic and I'm not here to sort of argue about that but we can if you want to we can. no we won't but you can I mean the still photo it does look like something and and we've seen photographs like that of like bugs yes that, fl- that fly past I've got and, one that looks like a dragon yeah and the flash hits the bug mm-hmm. you don't even see the bug because no. it's flying past so quickly but the camera will capture it yep. and the the fluttering wings of the bug um, and the little legs that stick out look like this little f creature yes a little f creature it looks creature. like legs and arms yes yep. absolutely yep but it's a bug Exciting. Oh, look, Dave's come up with a good one here. Uh, Scientific evidence suggests the more birthdays you have, the older you get. Oh, clever. Is that what it says? The the older you live. (laughs) Yay. Thanks, Dave. That was fabulous. I think I just wrecked your joke. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm hanging on to the wrong mouse. We're gonna. <coughs> oh, are you? Yeah, well, I'm gonna go head off. Head off to the song because I need to have a good cough. Um, my song selections this week. So I hope you enjoy them. I used to be a school teacher, so I always sort of enjoyed this song. Uh, we'll be back straight after this. Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. And we're back with Spooky Sundays with Anne and the very sexy voice. That's um, yeah, just hanging in there. All right. We're up to everyone's most favourite segment ever in the history of Spooky Sundays. Except for me. And that is the ABC <laughs> of superstitions. That's only because these all come from your era, Renata. It's all from the 1800s. <laughs> You've worn me out with these. And look, I knew this was going to be a good one because I've got my dictionary here, the Encyclopedia of su- su- Superstitions. Yeah. And under the word whistling, the very first word, is semen. Uh-oh. So we knew that this was going to be a good topic. But of course, they're talking about men who go to sea. Don't get too excited, Renata. <laughs> I can see you with that chip and gravy there. Just You just suck that down. That's all good. Now, 
Geez, these, these sailors are very superstitious people, aren't they? They are. There's not much you can do on a ship. <laughs> oh, no. They don't even, like, break wind. You'll be in trouble. Um, so, for particularly for seamen and miners, it's very, very unlucky to to be whistling on the job and also actors in theatres. Oh, no, you mustn't whistle. No. Backstage, no. No. Um, So we're going to go through some of it and work out what's happening. So with sailors, now... They, they say it's very understandable for to whistle is to imitate the wind. And so that is what you call um, sympathetic magic, mm-hmm. imitative magic. Mm-hmm. So they would look at you as you are whistling up the wind to raise the wind. And therefore, see, I talked about farting and there you go. We've got wind. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So they would think that you were using a bit of magic to do that so it's even more unlucky if a woman whistles oh women can't do anything i can't can't at all (laughs) but there is a story about a scarborough sea captain in the mid 19th century oh you probably knew them um who refused to allow one member of a party to board his ship he said not that young lady uh she whistles that's it what if you had one of those, like a loose tooth and you whistled through it? You were doing that for a few weeks. I was. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be put off the ship, not that you'd be on the ship at any no, stage anyway. No, no. Um, Yeah, so that, that's a well-known story. Um, a woman who whistles is always ill-omened on land as well as sea. I was whistling today. You were. I practised my whistling. Uh, a whistling woman and a crowing hen are neither fit for God nor men. Oh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Does anyone else know some superstitions about whistling? If you do, text them through while I finish this off on 0490 Um. So that's a bit of a proverb. So no crowing hens or whistling women, otherwise you'll be in big trouble. They're supposed to bring misfortune or death to those that are around them. Oh, along the coast in England, a female whistling um, was known as a wind raiser. Yes. And the witches. Yes. Remember when we went to Boss Castle and there's a a picture of the witches whistling in the wind? Yes. And they were supposed to be able to produce storms by whistling. Mm. Uh, So uh, consequently, any woman doing so could be suspected of raising a gale intentionally or otherwise that might be dangerous to shipping especially to small vessels such as owned by the fishermen. But they used to actually pay the women, didn't they? Yep, just to to bring the wind up so that they could actually go out to sea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so we're reporting that they're bad, but they actually used to make use of them as well. Oh, Hindi Amara says, do not whistle at night. It brings out the hairy men. Oh, that's right. I read that story. Yeah. Yeah. And Shane just said that too. Whistling attracts yowies. Well, you've got a hairy man at home. (laughs) I must have whistled. (laughs) He's very hairy. (laughs) You don't even even have to leave the house. No. (laughs) I don't even have to whistle. (laughs) Anyway, um, all right, so they're they're talking here about this anti-feminine prejudice, these mongrels. Uh, (laughs) 
goes right back to the to the 16th and 17th century, where they thought that the women's were, women were guardians of secret knowledge. Well, we are. We are. <laughs> and uh, female witches were far more. And in the trials, you'll notice there was far more women than there were men in the trials, because mm-hmm. we got all the power. Um, and the act of whistling in itself is deemed to have the power of raising wind and storms, whether done by a man or a woman. And this was all considered to be part of this being a witch business. <sighs> there was a story about someone who was sailing on the River Elba. They began to accidentally whistle, which the watermen disliked. That's the seaman. And they would give them, um, you know, they, they got quite upset about it. Uh, on the other hand, sailors are said to whistle sometimes gently to raise a breeze. Oh, who knows? Now, <clears throat> they're men, they're allowed to. Yeah, they don't understand, do they? Whistling down a mine is also unlucky. Uh, it's supposed to annoy the knockers. Oh. The Tommy knockers. Try that the next time we're at Gloucester. Oh, <gasps> Yes. Oh, the Gloucester gold mine too. Uh. Yes. Oh, we've got to fix up that paperwork too. Mm. Um, so uh, these knockers are supposed to hang around in the mines. And if you upset them, they'll bring about some misfortune. In some districts, it's said to cause an explosion or some other disaster in the pit. Oh, no. So whatever the explanation given, whistling whilst underground is usually forbidden. I have to ask Roman if that's still a thing because he works up in the mines. And an inexperienced lad who starts to do so is at once silenced by the older men. Shut up, lad. Oh, I sounded like a bloke then, didn't I? (laughs) You did. I really did. Um, Right, so it's particularly disliked in the theatre as well, except if it's part of the show. Uh-huh. If if it's part of the, the act that you're doing, that's okay. Uh, so you can whistle while you work, uh-huh. except if you're in the mines or in, on the ocean. Oh, Renata, we're referring to Snow White. <laughs> Just go stick your head somewhere. <laughs> That's it, we've set her off. We're going to wheeze. Don't set me off because I've got no hope of recovering. <laughs> All right, so you're not allowed to whistle in any part of the building, especially the dressing rooms, yep. where it means that somebody, not necessarily the whistler, but somebody in the theatre in that room is about to be out of work. So um, if you did happen to do that and there was more than one performer in the room, the culprit was usually turned out of that room at once and made to turn round three times outside before being allowed back into the room. And rightly so. Yes. Um, It's also considered dangerous to whistle after dark. So here we go. But this is in um, the St. Ives in Yorkshire. And they're saying that um, if you whistle after dark, the offender's driven out of the house and made to walk three times around it to break the spell. I've nearly finished, you'll be pleased to know. I've nearly finished the alphabet. I'm going to be very sad. (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) I'll have a whole new ABC for you all, don't you worry. Yeah, of ghosts. ABC of ghosts. No, no, no. I've got it all sorted. Oh, no. Um, So now, uh, not only the wind... um, uh, Beneath your wings? (laughs) You are the wind 
underneath my wings. Uh, I'm trying to read this. Uh, not only the wind or a general bad luck that could be, this is in regard to, regards to whistling again, is regarded as an ill-omened act. Sometimes it attracts entities that are far more dangerous. Oh. Now, this is interesting because um, you would go hunting with your dogs yes. out into the fens and then the dogs are trained to respond to whistles. Uh-huh. But the people that were hunting didn't want to whistle after dark for their dogs because they were frightened they were going to call up the lantern man. Oh, who's the lantern man? I don't know. Um, he, it's a local uh, form of fire fiend, rather like a will-o'-the-wisp who haunts the marshes and is perilous to those who see it. If anyone is rash enough to whistle in the dark and so call it up. Now, you're going to like this. This one's really good. He must at once be flung face downwards on the ground with his mouth in the mud. The spirit will then pass over his body, presumably without noticing him. Mm-hmm. I reckon that's just someone having a laugh. Going, oh, you've whistled. Down you go, face first into the mud. And they're all going, <laughs> silly boy. Silly boys. There well, you go. Mm. That's the ABC of whistling. Thanks for joining in. W-X-Y-Z. Three more weeks. Yeah. Oh, praise be Jesus. <laughs> You're going to hell. <laughs> That's all I'm saying, Renata. You go to hell. But in the meantime, we're going to head off to a song. We'll be back with your paranormal questions, your spooky ooky questions. Maybe you can suggest for me an ABC of what we should do next. And um, we'll be back. Text through to 0490-84886. Back soon. Do you have paranormal questions? Well, we have the answers. It's time for Spooky Chat with Anne and Renata. And it's time for your questions in the paranormal world with whatever information we've got left in our brains after a week of colds and flus and Renata's, uh, what did we call it, a disembowelment? <laughs> Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah. What have you done, Renata? You're touching the phone. <clears throat> I'm playing with buttons. All right. Now, we did have a question on, <coughs> sorry, the live on... How did we meet and become such good friends and decide to work with each other? Hmm. Go on, off you go. Hmm. I'm trying to save my voice. Uh, well, it kind of – Newcastle is a small place and um, I was doing my thing with p- the paranormal stuff and Anne was actually doing her stuff with another team, um, other people. And so we kind of knew of each other or about each other, but we hadn't worked together. Um, I don't even know how I got your phone number to give you that call to ask you whether you'd come with me to Sydney to do Rob Tilly's course. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. Maybe because um, I don't. I really don't know. Mm. But um, what? How it all started was that um, I was going to do a course with the um, Parapsychology Association here in Australia in Sydney, and the person that I was going with actually. Um, uh, fudged out on me a few days before going, said she couldn't go. So uh, I actually contacted Anne out of the blue and said, Anne, hi, do don't really know me, but I'm doing this course. I need someone to go with. Um, would you like to come? And uh, Anne said yes. 
And I, I really didn't know you. The only things I'd heard about you is that you were very, um, you were a cow uh, and you'd stolen all the sites in Newcastle from everyone so nobody else could investigate and what a horrible person you were. But you intrigued me with the course. Mm-hmm. And I had seen you on occasion. I thought, I don't think she's as bad. She's a bit sour-faced, but, you know, she doesn't seem that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so uh, we did. We went to Rob Tilly's course in Sydney. It was about demonology or something or other. It was, wasn't it? What about possessions and demons and things? Yeah. Mm. Or portals. I know I know. he's making a stand in a yeah, room and, and saying, and can you feel where the portal is? Yeah. <laughs> portal loo, more likely it was a toilet. <laughs> hey, I found the portal, so back off. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, we did that. Yeah. And uh, then um, I had to um, – I, I was – I did come on a couple of tours. Yeah, you did do a couple of tours. Yep. Uh, we, we got to know each other a little bit more. Uh, I was planning to uh, do a cruise yes. uh, to – I think it was Melbourne. Um, yes, and it was. I can't travel on cruise ships, so mm. it's really – Ridiculous of me. No, I know. I was thinking it through. I was thinking it through, Um, and so I needed someone to replace me on board. And and it wasn't me. (laughs) No, it kind of wasn't you to begin with. No, you were second. But we're going to her wedding, so it's okay. Yeah. So I did ask somebody else, and she said no. Um, And then I asked Anne. And uh, she said, yes, I will do that. And it was kind of from there that our collaboration really started from that point on. Yeah, anyone's going to offer me a free spot on a cruise ship. I'm like, hell yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, even uh, like that's there was issues there because I, I had to take my business partner at the time and we were trying to get all that happening and that all fell to poop and um, it sort of... Oh, it's been drama, drama, drama. Drama, llama. Yeah. But um, it sort of solidified our relationship a bit more and, and we started doing things together and then we re- realised we both love coffee and we're both married Polish husbands so we could sympathise with each other. <laughs> um, and and a love for all things ooky spooky and then she, she came on a, a trip with me. I can't remember where we were going but you bought egg sandwiches <laughs> and you laid a tea towel on my lap while I was driving and, and handed me a sandwich and they were the most delicious sandwiches I've ever eaten in my life. Uh, that was yeah. it. That was it. We were we were sold. consolidated, consolidated. Over an egg sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think we both have a real passion to get to somewhere, get to a place um, in this sort of paranormal career, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we don't feel that we're there yet. We don't feel that we're even close enough. To scratch the surface, so yeah. uh, we are really, really trying, to, really hard to um, progress and get through, and just pack as much in and do as much as we can um, while um, both of us are alive and kicking. Yeah. Yeah, and even I think when we're on the other side, we'll still be kicking mm. up out of the heels. Mm. Um, now we do have a text that came in on Thursday. So the first award goes to whoever texted in on Thursday. Yeah. Uh, Hi, Anna Renata. I enjoyed Spooky Sundays with Cousin Steve last week. I'm a little embarrassed to say that I'm going and nothing has become a phrase. Keep using it. Not quite sure. (laughs) 
what that means. Um, what did we used to say? Stay spooky. And then we yeah. realised Amy was saying, we thought we better not use it anymore. Um, I listened to the podcast version of the show with everything else you do. It's thoroughly entertaining. Well, thank you. Love yous. They didn't say who they were. were but um, thank you for texting through. Hi, Anne and Renata. My question is, what is the most common misconception about the paranormal that you have experienced? Becca Lee. Oh, boy. <laughs> I think oh. from the paranormal or ghost hunting point of view, it's it's that you turn up and they're there for you. You know, you turn up and they're supposed to just be there because you've turned up and you want to see something. You've paid money. You've paid money. You want to see something and um, they're supposed to be there. The place is haunted, which means it's supposed to be haunted 24-7, seven, seven days a week. And especially you know? when you turn up. And when you turn up, it has to be haunted. Uh, and people can sometimes not be satisfied if just nothing happens. Yep. No. So to for a place to be haunted that does not mean that you can expect something to happen whenever you turn up. It can be haunted, but there may be nothing that happens for weeks on end and then something will happen. Uh, and then it might be another couple of weeks or months before something else happens. It's still classified as being haunted because there was a, a haunting experience that has been noted on that spot. Um, but you have to really be there at the right moment to catch that haunting. Um, but I think some people think that just because a place is labelled as haunted – it's just going to be haunted all the time. So no matter what, when they turn up, there's going to be something that happens. Yeah, my th- my thing is demons. I think that's the biggest misconception in the the paranormal field. Mm. Um, and what what is a ghost? I think uh, there is a lot that people are thinking that it is a ghost. And it's not. Mm. They're not being open to the possibility of how the human mind works. So that would be my. That's a very good question. Yeah, it does. And and the whole thing about you know what is a ghost and what isn't, what might it be, what else might it be, requires education. Yeah. So you have to learn about all the things that are possible that the mind can create, yeah. and that that's where kind of that parapsychology side comes in. Uh, it's really, really important for paranormal investigators and ghost hunters to learn a little bit about that because you have to be able to take a side and take a point and kind of go, I, I honestly don't think that this is being created by a ghost or something outside of you. Um, it's more to do with what's going on, you know, within the dynamics of the family or the house or your brain. Yeah, and um, I'd like to give a shout out to Robert. Hello, Robert. He said, I know I won't be first, but hello anyway. We appreciate you taking the time to text us, Robert. Um, And also a shout out to Ray. Hello, Ray. Thanks for joining the show and thanks for sending a text in. A big hello to you as well. Now, when we come back after this break, we have another message. Um, Do you believe that some people that experience death and come back, such as in surgery, see a white light and look down at what's happening around them. Love from Leah in South Australia. So we're going to answer that one when we come back after this song. Be right back soon. 
Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. And are we ready for the big answers to the big questions? Mm, that's where they're answered here. That's where they are. Well, we'll try <laughs> our best. All right. So, um, this is they're, they're asking about the, the stories when people uh, die on like operating tables or in accidents and things like that, or they're dying and um, they see that white light and looking down, they sort of, I think they float above their body and look down at what's happening around them. Uh, do you think that is a real thing? I think it is a real thing because it's been scientifically studied. Um, this whole near-death experience and or dying and then coming back. And uh, I know that there is something within the brain, I think, or the eyes or whatever. As your brain starts to get deprived of oxygen, um, you do – it's like it, it goes down to a tunnel vision and the, the light gets dimmer and dimmer and it feels like you're going towards the light. But the thing that gets me is how are you – looking down at your body mm. how can you see what they're doing yeah that's uh, it look undoubtedly there are weird bits really weird bits and i haven't had a, a near-death experience thank goodness i don't want one um and uh, so i can't say no i can't and i'm say. not in a rush to find out no, either no but you hear all these stories about um yeah people floating above themselves and looking down at themselves yeah. it's scary as all crap they, they actually refer to it in the field as nde near-death mm-hmm. experience and if you look up ndes you will find a lot of stories about them out there so be sure to check it out we've got a, another question from that dave bloke and uh he's put a red herring on this one what are some misconceptions about Ouija boards that tick you off. <laughs> Where do we start? Let me get the list out. It's a portal straight to hell. You will lose your soul if you touch a Ouija board. Yes, yes. Don't play with them. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what evil energies you're letting into the yeah. into your room and space and whatever. And there is a lot of misconceptions because of... Hollywood and how they've been portrayed. If you look at the very early uh, movies and things with uh, Ouija boards, it's all fun, it's all play. There's even a black and white movie of Dennis the Menace where they're playing with a Ouija board, it's all fun. There's the TV series The Ghost and Mrs. Muir and they were using it to communicate and uh, it was all no evil, nothing connected with the evil whatsoever until... 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 A certain yes. Roland Doe. A certain movie came on. Yes. It was The Exorcist, wasn't it? Yes. yes. And it was um, where uh, somebody, it was actually a young boy um, whose aunt was in the spiritualist movement and they had her Ouija board in the house and he had used it and they'd, they'd used it before, but there was not any problems or any association with the Ouija board. But in the movie, they decided it would be much more interesting if they made the Ouija board the focus for how the spirit got into the house. Yes. And we've done a True Hauntings podcast on this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, you might know her all better as Reagan. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, the, the, the green pea soup vomiting 
yeah. head rotating uh, young girl. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was the time of the satanic panic yep. in America where uh, every man and his dog was getting possessed or there was a demon next door or or something or other because, um, of course, this kind of went wild in the newspapers. Of course, newspapers don't sell if it's just good news. They want to bring out the stuff that really intrigues you and, and makes you a little bit scared uh, and wonder whether your neighbour isn't doing something weird and wonderful. Uh, and so these stories ran crazy. And we've done, like Anne said, um, True Hauntings episodes where the, the newspapers have run with stories that would have been somewhere on page 15, but someone decided that it was going to be a good thing to run on the front page because it was going to bring in more money and revenue for the newspaper. Uh, and so they would blast it out as something really terrible and of course everyone wanted to buy a copy because they wanted to be uh, and know exactly what was going on and then these things just blow out of proportion um, it's the whole Ouija, Ouija board thing I don't think will ever go back into its box it, no. it never will um, there has been so much mud thrown at it that it is now stained yeah, and people get spooked by it. Yes. Um, just just in case the stories are true. Yes. Yeah. And look, if you look on YouTube, there's some very funny videos of um, uh, there's one in particular that stands out to me where he's standing at the light switches of the house and he's going, "My little sister's up there playing with her friends now on a Ouija board." And I'm about to frighten them. And he flicks the light switches off to the house. And mm-hmm. all you can hear is all these girls screaming inside. Mm-hmm. And then he switches the light back on. And he switches it off and switches. And they are screaming hysterically. Now, if he never owned up to the truth of what happened there, that would become a story, a truth for them that... Hoop went down when they used a Ouija board and yep. they had something evil in the house that was um, trying to get them. Yeah, absolutely. It is cardboard, <laughs> it is wood, it is plastic, yeah. it is nothing more than that. The symbols on there are not magical. There is nothing on there that portends any danger. It's just a bolder story. Yeah, and it's it's become part of folklore and mythology and it's now created its own set of circumstances and it's one of those things of whether you believe or whether you don't, you're right. It really is. Whether yeah. you believe or yeah. whether you don't, you're right. Because yes. if you believe that this is going to be harmful to you, you're right. Yes. You're absolutely 100% correct. Because you'll start looking for every rotten thing that happens to you and say, see, I told you, it was that Ouija board. Yeah, absolutely. And yep. we've had Ouija boards um, given to us oh, I've got to a, be taken away from homes because yep. you know things are going on because there is a Ouija board in the house. Yes. So we've taken them gladly. Um, and if anyone out there has a Ouija board that they want to Please give us, send it our way. Send it our way. But um, it is. It's one of those things that whether you are, whether you believe or you don't believe, you, you are, are right. correct. Um, I forgot to tell you. Yeah. We've got a Dipbook box coming our way. Oh, do we? We do. Oh. Uh, I've got the hiccups now. It's the uh, KFC coming back to haunt me. Um, yes, my friend in Sydney uh, apparently knows a family where they uh, a young man had unfortunately taken his own life and they found this box 
in his room and it's sealed with wax and it's got crosses and things carved into oh, the that's wood. that's terrible. And um, they didn't think much of it at first until bad things started happening to them. Mm-hmm. So um, my friend has taken that box mm-hmm. But they're getting bad vibes off it too okay. and want right. to know, will we have it? I well, went, oh, yes. We're going to need to build a glass cabinet because oh, you know they right. all go in glass cabinets. That's right. And, and put salt around it yep. and, and yep. blessed water by the we'll Pope. We'll do that. We'll do that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but we'll let you know when we get that and what we're feeling. But in the meantime, it is the top of the hour. We are going to head to a break and uh, we will be back very soon. Enjoy the music. It's time to cross back to the other side. Welcome back to Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata. And welcome back, everyone. Renata Daniel here uh, alongside Anne. You didn't make me a cup of tea. No, I'm sorry I didn't. I'm judging. (laughs) Now, um, this is probably a bit of adults-only section of... um, Spooky Sundays. Oh. So if um, talking about possession and um, you know, the things that come up with that might be offensive or um, triggering to you, then um, may, maybe wait for the uh, podcast episode. Um, so, so that you can, can pause or pause of, mute <laughs> fast it? forward or, can mute, or mute it. Um, but um, uh, we've been doing a couple of uh, True Hauntings episodes that have gone very deeply into the whole thing of possession. And as I mentioned before, I, I kind of really haven't yet wiped this all from my mind. It's actually become a bit of a rabbit hole and I've been wanting to dig a little bit further. And so I went searching to try and find the first possession that was um, possibly um, uh, recorded or talked about or some kind of note to say that, you know, this had happened. Yeah, the very first one Mm. ever. Um, But I didn't get that far. Uh, But I did get to the first exorcism with a scientific approach. And this is the exorcism of Martha Brossier. Now, Martha Brossier was a celebrity in France in the 1590s. So we're going back to the 1590s here. 1590s? 1590s. Wow. She was a demon-possessed woman, and her family took the performance with them on tour. What? (laughs) They travelled from city to city, demonstrating the satanic essence that lived in the soul of their child, all in front of the crowd. As you do. It was an exciting show. I bet it was. Brossier's eyes rolled back into his head, leaving behind only an empty white space. Oh, it's a her. Her tongue, red as blood, stuck out like a snake's, and she convulsed on the ground as a deep demonic voice erupted from her belly. <coughs> this attracted such a- attention that King Henry IV himself ordered an exorcism to be, for- be performed on her. He caused several of the country's most senior priests to gather around her, sprinkle her with holy water, and recite Holy Scripture in Latin, while the demon in Brossier, tormented by Holy Scripture, screamed in agony and pain. But what Brossier did not know was that her exorcism was a sham. Holy water was ordinary water, and the Latin books read by the priests were nothing more than an old poem by Virgil. Her exorcism was a scientific experiment. The first time in history that demonic possession had been systematically tested. Brossier failed, and in the process discovered some incredible things about the human mind. 
Martha Brossier was 20 years old when the demons possessed her. She was already considered a bit of a strange bird, a woman who secretly left the house disguised as a man and apparently did not want to get married at all. Oh, they them. Mm, the people in her small town seemed to take it for granted when a demonic voice began to come out of her. Oh, that's just Martha. <laughs> Her neighbour, Anna Chevreau, was accused of witchcraft. She was a middle-aged unmarried woman and by the standards of the time that was the significant uh, profile of a witch. An unmarried woman, middle-aged. That's it. That's oh. the tick both those boxes. And you are a goner. Put her in the, the duck pond and dunk her. Oh. And whatever complaints Brossier made against her were convincing enough to have Chevreau thrown into prison. But the Brossier family did not hide their demonic child. They took her on the road with them, travelling from city to city, showing her and allowing everyone to see the evil spirit that possessed their girl. For the Catholic Church, the demons and the body of Brossier were a godsend. King Henry IV of France led a campaign of tolerance towards the Huguenots, local Protestants. For the Catholic Church, their growth was a threat, and in Brossier they found proof that the Protestants were in league with the devil. Oh, there we go. The Protestants against the Catholics. Oh, no. That's terrible. (laughs) The voice that spoke through her belly, even when her mouth was closed, called himself Beelzebub. My belly does that sometimes. (laughs) Beelzebub. (laughs) And he called himself Prince of the Huguenots. God, doesn't this go well hand in hand? Before the demon possessed her, a woman called Nicole Aubrey. The church took her all over the world to hear her utter blasphemies against God on behalf of the Huguenots, once saying, but Aubrey was publicly cast out and the church's beloved demon was lost. Therefore, Brossier seemed like a godsend. The church once again had someone who could denounce the Protestants in the name of a demon. The priest gave her an official certificate of genuine possession and the church joined their tours. In front of a shop. This is shocking. It is shocking. In, got a certificate. In front of a shock crowd, they publicly cast her out only for Beelzebub to climb back into her body to the delight of another audience. Oh, that poor Michelle Mariscott, the personal physician of King Henry IV, was given the task of exposing her. By order of the king, Martha Brossier was brought to the Abbey of St. Genevieve so that under the supervision of Maresco, the Bishop of Paris himself would cast out demons from her. Almost immediately after Brossier knelt before the bishop to pray, a demon possessed her. She fell on her back, convulsing and breathing like a wild animal. Her eyes retracted, her tongue stuck out, and a dark, gravelly voice from her stomach screamed vulgar, unprintable words. That's what happens to me every morning before I have my first coffee. The priest put a piece of wood in her mouth to prevent her from swallowing her own tongue, then gathered around her holding a piece of the true cross of Jesus Christ in their hands. And they... Put that splinter in her third eye. And reading the Holy Scriptures to cast out the demon. When she saw the true cross, she began to writhe on the floor in pain as a dark voice within her screamed blasphemy and death threats. Mariscott alone was unimpressed. He wrote a short, simple note. Nothing from the devil, many counterfeit things, and a few things from sickness. Mariscott said that he had changed the instruments of the priests. The piece of true cross they used, he explained, was nothing more than an ordinary piece of wood. The real true cross was in her mouth, used as a tongue compressor, and she did not react to it at all. The priests were not convinced. They saw Brossier do what no man should do. 
It wasn't just a strange voice that came from inside her body, lying on her back. She jumped into the air and flew back farther than most men can jump while standing. That reminds me, I've got a story coming up in a week or two about flying um, witches. Yeah, go on. I'm going to stop there because I've got more. There's more? There's more. (gasps) But you've left me in suspenders. I I know, and I want to continue after we have this song. So this person is currently flying and you're leaving us. Yes, yes. Back soon, everybody. All right, so enjoy this song, everyone. You're listening to Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. Now, I did leave you in suspense. We're in the middle of this story. My knickers are in a knot. We're back in the 1590s, 1590s, and this is the very first exorcism that is being scientifically, if you can call it that, tested. Mm -hmm. Right. And, of course, the king's got a whiff of this woman that has been... (laughs) (laughs) Did he smell lavender? By any chance? Oh, sorry. Oh, that was so wrong. <laughs> you got a whiff of the woman. I do love your choice of words, but I am. I, I do have to say, I'm very happy to hear the wheezes back. We oh. haven't heard it for a while. Ah, uh, yes. That um, there's this woman being paraded around, that and she's being possessed by the devil, and that she is uh, being vulgar about the Huguenots, who are the Protestants, the local Protestants, and this isn't playing in favour with the king at all. No. So he's kind of going, okay, let's see if this chick can work out whether what is the real cross of Jesus and what isn't. She's biting it. <laughs> so that's what we are up to. It's not much more of it, but I thought I'd hang on. <laughs> so okay. we've got the, um, uh, the king's own special doctor who has, is testing um, Brossier out. And, uh, of course, he has tried to work out whether she can um, withstand the true cross. Robert reckons they've got a whiff of uh, fishy things. <laughs> oh, uh, so. Uh, You're bad, Robert. As I said, the priests were still not convinced. They saw Brossier do what no man should do. It wasn't just a strange voice that came from inside her body. Lying on her back, she jumped into the air and flew back farther than most men can jump while standing. To deny what he saw, one of the priests warned Scott was blasphemy. The devil may oh, don't well. Don't you disagree with me? Take it with him. Ah, Mariscott was not impressed. I will take this danger and risk upon myself, he fired back. Let him carry me away if he can. It was the Archbishop of Lyon, Charles Miron, who found a way to prove the truth of Mariscott. One substitution of part of the true cross was not enough to convince his fellow priests, so Bishop Miron went further. He changed everything. So for several days, the priests prevented Brossier from drinking anything but holy water without saying that the water she drank was blessed by a priest. Then they filled a vessel of holy water with ordinary water and sprinkled it, saying that it was sacred. Brossier fell into a trap. She had no reaction to the holy water for nearly a week, but screamed in agony when the plain water hit her face. Every part of Muron's scheme worked. When he picked up a piece of iron and 
pretended that it was a piece of the real cross of Jesus Christ, Brossier began to convulse when he read Virgil's Aeneid <laughs> in Latin, pretending to be the Bible. She threw herself on the floor. Martha Brossier was a fraud. Oh, done. For done like a dinner. first time in history, demonic possession was exposed through a controlled experiment. Oh, that, I'm, oh, that's, that's impressive. I'm impressed. For them to actually stand up against the norm as well, that yep. was a big thing. At the time, the story seemed simple to people. The woman lied about the demon and it was nothing more than a simple scam. However, there are hints that something more than a simple lie could have taken place here. And Anne Chevreau, the woman whom Brossier accused of witchcraft, certainly thought so. The Brossier she knew, she said when she got out of prison, was not a crook. She was just dangerously mentally ill. It's hard to say for sure if Chevreau was right, but Brossier certainly never admitted to being fake. Even after she was exposed, she continued to claim to be possessed long after someone paid attention to her. If she wasn't faking, it opens up some strange possibilities in the human mind. Martha Brossier was capable of seemingly supernatural things. She could perform ventriloquism tricks. She could be pricked without feeling pain. She could jump great distances while lying on her back. She performed incredible feats, and she did not think she was lying. Then these actions probably were not rehearsed. Perhaps, in some sense... Rossier was indeed obsessed, but perhaps she was possessed by another kind of demon, a demon of her own mind. Exactly. How interesting. That is very, very interesting. How interesting. And I think I've only scratched the surface to these stories. And this is, this kind of leads me to think because, I mean, when we've looked at other stories, we found that they have been written up. Um, and available to people to read, and that's how they've learnt to be possessed by mm-hmm. reading yep. other people's stories. Yep. And so, and we're going back 400, 500 years when we're talking about this. So, has all this kind of just been in the human psyche for so long that it's still happening now? Is, is is there like a formula? Because in the 1500s, they followed a formula. Yeah. This is what you did. To be possessed, this is what you did. Yeah, and you they actually X, wrote y, it down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that proved that you were possessed. And that became the format even through to the present day, which they're even using in movies. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Is it is it so ingrained in the human psyche? Is it part of our mythology to such a point that this is what, happens and it's then really really difficult for um anyone is it, to is it the philip experiment where we've created it <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yes yeah yeah we talk about it and we follow the rules and that must be the way so therefore it is mm-hmm. that's that's too deep a, a hole for my head to cope with mm-hmm. tonight that's just not going to happen but like what I was trying to do by retelling that story is to actually show you that possession is nothing that's sort of just turned up in the last century. No, it's been around forever. This has been going on for a very long time. And it would have gone on 
prior to the story that I was talking about, which was the 1500s, uh, it, it was going on in the 1400s and the 1300s. When, whenever there would be somebody who was um, having epileptic fits or fitting because they had a high temperature or um, having a seizure or anything like that, that would have been considered um, something yeah, whether it was Christianity or pagan, it would have been considered that there was something influencing them. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was not their normal behaviour. Yeah, and those things were not known as, you know, something that uh, was afflicting normal human beings. Yeah. And um, something else that I was going to say, which now I've completely forgotten. Squirrel, <laughs> squirrel. <laughs> I'd just like to say Indiamara has sent through a message saying this has been one of the best episodes, chats I've listened to on this station. Oh, thank you. Not your story. He sent that through oh. well, during the ABC of Superstitions. Oh. <laughs> you cow. <laughs> um, Sky said that she's, <coughs> sorry, died twice. Mm-hmm. God must want me here. Oh. I just think he doesn't want you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, but it's look and and again, we're try what we try and do here in this show is expose you. That's a really bad word, but it is to expose you to a whole range of different weird things, so that you can sort of sit back and make up your mind and go, hmm, ah, oh, that's really interesting, um, because nothing that we're sort of dealing with nowadays is anything new whatsoever. No. It's all been around before. You know, we've we're not. We're not creating the wheel for the very first time. Nope. Um, and when you look... Although we keep trying to reinvent it. We, yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we reinvent it, absolutely. So it's, it's interesting <coughs> to start to dig into history and um, to look at how they looked at things that we look at nowadays but in a completely different point of view. And I actually found that very interesting that even though they had a, a bias to look at that woman and say she wasn't possessed because it would fit their view of what should be happening in the world right so they they were looking for um you know this battle between christianity and um, good and evil protestants no christians and protestants good and evil (laughs) and so it was going to benefit one side and not the other um but they did do something they did to try and experiment and it it worked it really worked. Yeah, I mean, I'm super impressed with that. Um, all right, I think we should go to a yes, song. We'll go to a song and then I've we'll got go my to story. Your story. Okay. Oh, where's that song? There it is. <laughs> See you very shortly. Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Before you start, Anne, I just wanted to say we have tickets remaining for this Saturday night's residence. Is it Saturday or Friday? At Maitland Jail. It's the 22nd, I think. Okay. I'm I'm going to quickly get my calendar up and double check. (coughs) So if you have not experienced the residence before, the residence is part of Maitland Jail, but it is not in the jail proper. It is a building that sits right next to the front gates. On the left-hand side, yes, it has not been uh, explored or nothing's been done with it. Those doors were had not been opened for about 30 years mm. until we creaked that door open <coughs> and uh, walked in and went, oh, my goodness, look at this. A magnificent building to start with. Yes. 
But very ooky spooky. Very ooky spooky. And we've had some very interesting things happen ever since we started the tours in there. Uh, There are limited numbers and it is for a limited time because it has been earmarked to be part of the uh, refurbishment of uh, part of the jail and the building of um, a hotel complex next to the jail. So we will be losing it and we don't know when. They will only put tickets out month by month at the moment because... It's it's close. Mm, yeah. yeah. And so we are inviting you to come and enjoy and be part of the investigations at the residence before we lose it. And there are tickets left for this Saturday Which is very night. unusual. Yes. So grab them while you can. Go to the Maitland <coughs> Jail website. Uh, click on what's on uh, and then you'll see down there the residence and it will come up with April 22nd as the next one that is available. Mm-hmm. Okay, story time. My turn. Now I want to give fair warning to our audience listeners out there. I will be mentioning a word that can really disturb some people and create havoc in their life. And it is the word that begins with the letter F. I want to brace you all now because I'm going to say it because I'm going to need to say it a few times. So let's hope the radio studio does not go dead as I say it. That word is fairy oh no oh no i know here we go so i'm going to be uh talking to you about a witch that has been put on trial that's never happened before has it now we are we are going to be heading to the late 19th century so this is the late 1800s and we're going to go and visit a woman called mary doheny who was well mary who doheny Donny, Donny, who was very well known around Carrickonsur, Tipperary, Ireland, and I'm apologising now to all our beautiful Irish correspondents out there for stuffing up all those words. Now she was very well known as a fairy woman or a fairy doctor. That's three times. I know. It's just going. We're not going to get home tonight. Um, <laughs> It's said that she could commune with the fairy folk uh-huh. and she could draw various powers from them, such as healing and mm-hmm. communicating with the dead, as well as being able to negotiate with the said fairies in order to arrange for them to protect certain people. Oh. Fairy. She must have I the like gift. It. So uh, there were numerous people who claimed to have this sort of power that could speak to the fairies and negotiate with them during this time. So that wasn't unusual. And and Doheny, or we'll call her Mary because I don't like, I don't know how to say it, Doheny, um, might have gone about her life as usual if it wasn't for a series of events that put her into the spotlight and made her the centre of a bizarre trial involving magic and fairies. Oh. So in 1864, Mary was summoned to the home of a policeman, Constable James Reeves, in order to work her fairy healing powers on their severely ill epileptic seven-year-old son, William. Oh. Now, there wouldn't have been much known about that illness during that uh, period of time. But for 10 months, Mary attended to the sick child, And although the child would eventually die, during this time she began to claim that some of their deceased friends and family, including their son, were trying to reach out to them and that she could help arrange communication with them. 
So in those days, contact with the dead was not an uncommon power for those in league with the fairies because mm-hmm. um, it was believed that spirits of the dead were sometimes taken by the fairies to live in their realm. Uh, so the Reeves family was sort of intrigued by all of this. So Mary told them that a companion of James, Sir James Power, who would have been dead for over a decade, wanted to bestow upon him landed estates in Carrick that would make him rich. In order to prove prove that she was legitimate, she went about getting letters sent from the deceased from the fairy world. Right, So she's got letters from this third person from the fairy world to show them that this was legit. And from what all the accounts say is that the Reeves believed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Mary claimed that these deceased family and friends had been restored to life and were living in the fairy world mm-hmm. under a place called <coughs> Ballydyne Moat. But they, but they needed something. They needed their help. Mm-hmm. They needed food, they needed clothing, they needed drink, they needed tobacco in order for the communications to be able to continue, for them to be able to step back over into the human world to reunite with them. Mm-hmm. Wow. So James began donating a large amount of these supplies to Mary so that she could take them to the deceased. And much of it was food, which apparently had to be varied because the fairies like to have a variety in their diet. They don't want to have the same tastes yeah, all the time. Not carbs um, the time. No, no. Not and not sometimes carbs. if um, they didn't like the food, they would send the food back. Oh. Say it's not good enough. Yeah. We need something better than that. It also seemed that the fairies uh, in the fairy realm had very good tastes, high quality tastes. And sometimes they would send food and drink back if it wasn't of a suitable quality. Fussy fairies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me get a t-shirt with that fussy fairies <laughs> we're the fussy fairies all right um so all manner of goods were sent off to the deceased including eggs potatoes bread oh was it soda bread oh, oh. i wouldn't be giving that back no, it's four and a half weeks to soda bread renata just saying squirrel squirrel uh, and I just watched a podcast thing on YouTube where they said these these are the top ten things you should do in Ireland. And one of them was eating soda bread with Kerry Gold butter. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. We're, we're um, yeah, puckering up for that. All right. So um, <clears throat> all manner of goods were sent off. Eggs, potatoes, bread, milk, fresh butter, tea, whiskey, wine, tobacco in huge quantities to the point that James Reeves got himself into quite a bit of debt because he was borrowing money to try to get these people to come back so he could get this big inheritance that he was going to get. This is the earliest scam ever. (laughs) (laughs) Over the coming months, Mary graduated from providing letters from these dead loved ones to saying that she could arrange actual meetings uh, and claiming that she had convinced the fairies to allow them to come back into the land of the living. Amazingly, it seems to have worked because James's wife Mary saw her dead uncle Tom Sheehan and her father, of which she said, I did see him sitting on a chair in the kitchen near the door, wearing a blue coat, knee breeches, and a hat, and leaning on a stick. Oh, okay. yeah, see, you were doubting Mary's skills, weren't you? I could see in your eyes you <laughs> thought this was a scam. Oh, yep. Now, <coughs> James would also claim to have seen in the flesh. 
his dead sister-in-law and his recently deceased son, William, as well as his father-in-law, William Mullins, an encounter of which he would later say, we remained looking at my dead father-in-law, William Mullins, for a time. He was standing in the field with a stick in his hand. His side face was turned towards me. I don't think that William Mullins is dead now, but he is dead. I've been sending him food for the last four months since he came to life. I sent bread, butter and tea once in each of the 24 hours. All right, let's stop because we're going to a song. Again, we're going to hold you in suspenders. Yep, yep, we're going to a song. So we've got a dead man in a field that they're feeding bread and butter to. I know. What's going on? I don't know. Let's go to a song and find out. Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. Okay, and do not keep us in suspenders. We're, we're talking about Mary and the fairies. Mary and the fairies. And uh, William the constable. Um, <laughs> so, no, James, James Const- uh, Constable James Reeves. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And um, he had and the, the fussy, sick child. The, the fussy fairies. And, and, and William died, sadly. But um, she, they're sending food and, and grog to the fairies. Yeah. Um, and they're bringing back the dead loved ones. Yes. And so now they've actually seen some of the dead loved ones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But... No. A lot of these meetings with these deceased family who were now coming back to life were sort of conducted in dark, way out of the normal area places. Their faces were sort of not clearly seen. Mm-hmm. That didn't phase the Reeves family at all. They were convinced that was their loved ones. Yeah. Now, not only the Reeves family were involved in this, but Mary had become close with six other local families who were similarly claiming that she could bring their dead loved ones back in exchange for goods. So that's seven families that are providing her with all this quality food Mm -hmm. and tobacco and drink. Mm -hmm. So it was starting to come to the attention of some of the other townsfolk now. They're getting wind of what was happening. They're getting wind of Mary. Um, And they started to think that maybe she was a witch and that maybe she was a scam artist and swindling food out of gullible people. Oh, Renata, you're just like them. (laughs) Either way, Mary was seen to be up to no good, and the local reverend even convened a town meeting to talk about what to do about her. No. Authorities eventually convinced to move in and and arrest her under suspicion of swindling uh, the Reeves family and other families out of a small fortune in food and other supplies. And, of course, as soon as that sort of thing happens, it became a media sensation in the late 1800s. All the newspapers started turning up at the door, the penny dreadfuls. Um, And she then earned the name the Carrick Witch. So during her trial, which was starting to turn into a media circus, there was damning evidence brought in against her. A local woman by the name of Elaine Walsh claimed that Mary had paid her to forge letters that had allegedly been from the dead. And there were several accomplices, including her own husband, who admitted to impersonating dead family members to appear to the Reeves. But... Despite all of this, Renata, yeah. guess what the Reeves family said? They still believed. They, they still believed the her. Yeah. They swore under oath that 
she was not a charlatan, that she truly did have these gifts. She really was bringing their deceased friends and family back and they honestly believed she had these powers. One account of the trial would say uh, the witnesses called against Mrs. Mary Doany uh, certainly testified to the continuous stream of subsidies with which they had supplied her for their rather uncomfortable situated relatives. Don't you like that? The uncomfortably situated relatives in the fairy realm uh, who appear to have got back from the grave but still to be, if Oh, this is hard to read. If we may so term it, spiritual invalids living on earth, but in mysterious seclusion amongst the good people, and preparing on a mild diet of tea and other food generally known to the medical profession as slops for their more active return to life. But while they gave this evidence, they not only... Um, said that there was no falsehood to Mary, but they were eager in their, their belief that they the subsidies had actually been needed and had been consumed by their kinsmen, their half-dead kinsmen. Because they, they'd seen it with their own eyes, so mm-hmm. therefore it was real. Mm-hmm. Does that remind you of something that we were um, reporting on in Diary of a Ghost Hunter? Yes, yes. Even though people have been proven... To be falsifying stuff, mm-hmm. there will be still those that they believe. still will believe no matter what. Yeah. Nevertheless, there was enough evidence against her that Mary would be found guilty of fraud and sentenced to 12 months of hard labour and imprisonment at, you ready for this? Clonmel Jail. Oh, Clonmel. Clonmel. I've just got goosebumps oh. all over me. Now, for those who don't know, I am adopted and I have found my family history traces back to Ireland and my family came from Clonmel. Oh. I know, oh, right? That's crazy. I know. Um, so, anyway, back to the story. Her supposed victims would continue to vouch for her innocence and insisted that she really did have these powers and it was sort of quite odd. Um, I mean, fancy admitting, though, that after spending all this money and sending that stuff that you were wrong. And, I mean, <sighs> grief can do weird things to you. Mm-hmm. You will do anything sometimes to think you've still got a link with those people that you love dreadfully. Absolutely. So, I mean, did she have the powers that she claimed she did? Was she an innocent woman wrongly accused or just another fraudster or charlatan looking to make a buck off the back of the poor old fairies and magic? Ooh. They say we don't know for sure, but it makes a curious addition to the history of witches and fairies. I'm pretty sure I know for sure. Mm. She was a scam artist. Look, I got that story from Mysterious Universe, um, and they have great stuff on there, so go check them out. That was uh, by Brent Swanser, The Strange Trial of the Carrick Witch. And Mysterious Universe is um, Australian. Australian. Yes. yes. Yep. We started listening to their podcast years ago. I think oh, you introduced years, me years, to them. Yeah. Yep. And we used to listen to them on drives to Sydney. Mm-hmm. And um, they were, well, still are, mm. fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. Great stories. So what we've got coming up this week, we've got our uh, Wednesday mm. night at New FM. Yes. And um, we've got an interview on um, Tuesday. Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. And I think we've got Q&A. Uh, Thursday, Thursday mm. for uh, our 
uh, YouTube show. Yes. We've got some more of our YouTube clips coming up on our last year's UK trip. And thank you to Cousin Steve, who is frantically throwing all these clips together. I think he's up to episode eight, and we've only got three out so far because I've got to do some voiceover work. Um but we'll get some of those out to you. I have to also get some seriously weird mm-hmm. out to you all. Mm-hmm. And we've got a new Diary of a Ghost Hunter coming out definitely on YouTube, maybe on um, the podcast because somebody in their illness forgot to press record on the audio for <laughs> the Diary of a Ghost Hunter. But I might be able to rip it off the audio from the, the video. So mm-hmm. that should be okay. Yeah, and until yeah, yeah. Don't forget to book for the residence on yes. Saturday night. Please, we'd love to see you there. Yeah, but until next week, we are going to uh, leave you, and yep. we hope that everything is well for you this week. Um, stay well. May the fairies send you blessings. Mm-hmm. Remain frightfully good, and we will see you on the, the dark, dark side. side. Bye, Bye, everyone. Most mysteries can be solved by looking at the facts, but sometimes the facts don't give us the answer. So it's time to call in Anne and Renata. Spooky Sundays, when the truth lies beyond a logical answer. Dive deep into the world of the unknown with real ghost stories and the unexplainable. Sometimes unconventional, but always entertaining. It's Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata. Sunday from 8pm, only on Newcastle Live.